Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's gorgeous conversation is with a new friend referred to as Gray Cook. Gray Cook is someone that I have been following for many years. I think many people listening to this podcast have as well. If you do not, it would be in your favor to do so. Uh, if you have a body, if you have any friends with a body, if you are a practitioner or a clinician of any sort, uh, his work is mandatory at this point. He's the founder of Functional Movement Systems. He's the founder of the Functional Movement Screen, and he's really done a tremendous job at defining what in the world is this nebulous concept of functional movement in the first place. It's a word that gets tossed around. Most movement-based systems, personal trainers, yogis, things of the sort, and Gray, I would say, is the godfather of creating a heuristic guide for the rest of us to be able to follow, to determine how functional is our movement. Uh, this conversation, we get into how we can screen our own movement to make sure that we live a life of longevity, of self-expression, of flexibility, strength, durability. Gray is probably one of the greatest teachers on the planet of the concepts of, of movement, what it means to move well. And I'm just so immensely grateful to get to share this conversation with you today. If you would like to hear the response to the questions at the end, they are exclusively in the Align community, which is absolutely free. It can be found at Align Podcast podcast.com slash community on there. Uh, there's something like 800 members in there now. And we just opened it up about six days ago as I'm recording this introduction. And it's just an amazing opportunity to get to connect with like-minded people, to get to share content exclusive to that space, to get to have accountability among the group. Um, we're running challenges and all sorts of really fun stuff in there. So if you're interested in learning more and also hearing the rest of this conversation, you can jump over to alightpodcast.com slash community. Let's get back to it with my guy, Gray Cook. So I just did a conversation with Kelly Starrett just a few days ago, and we brought you up throughout that, said terrible things, just tearing <laughs> you down throughout it. It's great. And the, the same question I started with, with him, I'd be curious to start with you, is I feel, I see, there is a tremendous amount of low-hanging fruit in the modern world, you know, Western culture the technological age, agrarian age, all the things, that if we just grasped that fruit, we just did these very basic, simple, fundamental things that are just, they're on the table all day, and we just don't, we just don't have the eyes to see it, I, I think it would be, you know, it would have massive implications for the health and well-being of culture. And I, I'd be curious, from your lens, I'm sure you see lots of, lots of, lots of fruit, I'd be curious from your lens, is there like a top two, three low hanging fruit that stands out for you? Self-awareness. Self-awareness is one. And I think that you, you already gave me the operational word here. We've lost our physical culture. When we had a world war and many young men went through a draft process, there was a physical standard and, and physical education and sports and CrossFit and kettlebells impose a physical standard. But in, if you grew up in the last 30 years, there's not a really physical standard. Everything goes. If you were a Spartan, there's a physical standard. If you're bailing hay, uh, there's a physical standard. If you just grow up and do whatever you want, 
and your mom and dad don't really have a physical culture about them, you're sort of just blowing in the breeze and every fitness trend that catches your eye, you do probably imperfectly for a while until another trend blows by. So, you know, if you look at the blue zones around the world, there is a huge culture around that blue zone. I don't care whether they're vegetarian or not. They're all living past 100 and they're all physically active, but nobody exercises. <laughs> you know, to the to some of the statements you made in your book with play and things like that, there are a lot of cultures on this earth that are easily way more physically active than us and have never counted a set or rep because the physical standard or the physical ideal is embedded into the culture so much that you don't need to see your reflection. You just, you never didn't do yoga. So yoga is not your therapy. It's your kata. It's your thing. It's just what you do to check the gauges in the morning. And so we don't have that physical awareness and we don't have that physical ideal. You and I probably both grew up with with almost Arnold or a cartoon character as a physical ideal. And You know, maybe maybe that's just a form, but not a function of a physical ideal. So, first, firstly, I feel all of my sphincters gradually tensing up as you're saying that you you've at least perused through my book because, per mentioned before, you're someone that I've I've truly looked up to for a very long time, and I reference your work on a regular basis, and you've informed a lot of what I am regurgitating and 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 uh you know presenting into the world so you know my own formulation a lot of that is riding on the shoulders of you so i really you know i I just thank you first of all as far as coming through the lens of like general physical preparedness i wonder what your perspective of what what are some some baseline fundamentals that as a a human being endowed with this biological mechanical machine what are some of the from your perspective, some of like the, the baselines that, you know, if you were formulating the, the education system, you know, elementary, middle school, that's like you need to have these functions in your body and you need to understand these basic principles. Is there any standouts with that? Well, uh, it, it hit very close to home pre-pandemic, about three years pre-pandemic. My, my youngest daughter, she's 10 now, my wife and I decided one of the ways we're going to tithe is we're going to tithe our time. And on Thursdays, we're going to be the PE teachers in this small private school where our youngest daughter goes. And we're going to take pre-K through seventh grade, 45 minute slots, one day a week. And we're going to be the physical educators, but we're not going to roll out the ball. We're not going to check out. We're going to create physical obstacle courses and we're going to teach without words. We're going to gauge the physical obstacles. So we had four pillars that we wanted the kids to work around. Breathe, bend, balance, and bounce. And I got a chance to talk with, with these little things with, with Kelly and Juliet on their podcast. But what I told the kids is to work backwards. We're going to be on balance beams, jumping off boxes, keeping a beanbag on our head, going under tubes and tunnels and stuff like that. But if you're having a hard time with a jumping or bouncing activity, ask yourself one question. Am I balanced today? If your balance is all over the place and the beam is not really treating you right today, ask yourself, is your bending okay, your flexibility? And if you're not feeling flexible and stiff, ask yourself what your breathing's like. And we got these kids to self-calibrate working backwards, just maybe taking that, that flushing breath or maybe learning to exhale on flexion and inhale on extension. And without going all biomechanical, 
We literally took kids that couldn't even walk a balance beam and in a matter of seven days had them walking backward on a balance beam or doing a pivot or reach down and tie your shoes and stuff like that. So I think it's very important to let the physical obstacle impose the friction, if you will, and don't even throw words out until the system has a few chances to do movement sonar and figure it out. And, and that's why I've, I've looked at people who've tried to create movement screens without the physical obstacle. We make you lunge on a beam. We make you step over your tibial height on a hurdle. And without that physical obstacle, I don't get to catch your behavioral signature. I get to catch you mimicking me. And that's not an authentic signature. So seeing you on a hill is different than me saying, okay, how would you walk if you were on an incline? Those are two completely different things because your brain likes to answer movement questions with words. But us coming up with the movement screen in the late 90s got us to get your impression of your movement. And then I got to take a movement sample from your subconscious postures and patterns that had nothing to do with your ego or your own good opinion of yourself. And so I can ask you about balance and I can test your balance and I can ask you about your symmetry and I can then test it. I can ask you, can you deep squat? And you said yes, but what you really showed me was a deep knee bend with your heels off the ground. So realigning that gets us to a point of physical awareness that, that gives us a jumping off point. And most of the problems, once you realize where that is, it's, it's easy to fix. We had, we had a bunch of young kids, I'm talking second and third graders, that couldn't rock bottom a deep squat. They were already representing inappropriate tone. And, and at those ages, you don't see stiffness. Ankle mobility problems aren't present. What you're seeing is a kid that really doesn't feel comfortable coiling the spring. They've got this, this, this tension. And it could be coming from as much as they've got to sit or the inappropriate stimulations they get or a high sugar diet. We don't know where it's coming from, but we see what looks like flexibility problems in young kids. And the worst thing you could do is put them on a stretching program. These kids need to become movement aware. And usually a few bear crawls and balance beams and jumps off the bleachers in a safe environment that's playful, get that tone off so we can truly see which one of these kids really does have a locked up ankle and they're few and far between, but most of them can jump off a bleacher and not even stick a landing. They can't stay in the same footprint they landed in. And within three weeks we had them there and it wasn't through corrective exercise and it wasn't through me releasing a trigger point in the soleus like we have to do with adults. It was simply about giving a movement obstacle and allowing them to find the answer and not read it to them. So. Yeah. I, so there's two things. One, I'd love to unpack further the meaning of, of coiling the spring, because I think that's a really important concept that probably few people would really, at least in an embodied sense, have, a, you know, have, have an awareness of what that is, uh, probably myself included. And the other part that I think is interesting with that is, is I, f- I feel like culturally we are almost imposed with this information from the outside in, you know, in the books that we read and the way that we move and the way that we think. And, you know, we're, we're trained to pass a test as opposed to, you know, trained to on, on how to think for ourselves. Not it's not, that's not an absolute broad sweeping statement, but as a general thing, I think we have this deep intelligence as young people. And this is I'm kind of borrowing from, from Moshe Feldenkrais, where he kind of, he calls this as like, you have your, your self-education, you're going through your developmental patterns, you know, and you're just, you're just, you're an emergent system. You know, you're, you're emerging in relationship to your environmental conditions in this really 
almost like perfect way. And then you have this learned self, and that's when the beginning of shame or the beginning of self-doubt or the beginning of kind of this separation between that inherent self, calls it the immutable self, and then all of like the topical layers. And I feel like a lot of people, they believe, this gets into kind of some philosophical type territory, but they believe that they are that, that topical layer. And it's, it's, it's a, it can be a process to come back into that inherent self, which is, you know, has, a, I think, a lot more information and answers than um, what most of us would, would realize. And I, I think that that's probably pretty broad, general type concept. But does, does that, any of that, make sense or, or land from a movement conversation? Well, first of all, uh, when you, when you brought up Feldenkrais, the, the thing that, that, and you've got to correct me if I'm wrong, physicist, that was his background. Wasn't he a, a physicist? I think that was his, yeah. that was yeah, his I believe that's, And I believe that's correct. Yeah. His perspectives into movement did not emerge until he was completely physically disabled. I think he had a, a huge, maybe a femur fracture, but basically he lost all ambulation. He had to teach himself how to move again. And whatever the resources were at his disposal, he found them far beneath his intelligence. He said, I'll figure it out myself. And right. I think the, the, the point there is when your physical perspective is getting ready to rob your own independence, it's a whole different layer than if it's just based on performance, right? I'm not just posting how well I did on Murphy today in CrossFit, right? Or something like that. I'm not just posting this for likes. I'm getting ready to lose my physical independence. So children, as they go through the developmental progressions of movements and patterns, are fighting for independence. And the last three years of our life, we're giving up most of it. So when you take your physical perspective back to I'm either disabled or not, there's a whole different level of radical transparency <laughs> that you got to bring to it. Yeah. And that brings me to a second observation that, that you said. You had Katie Bowman on your podcast. We had her, we had her here on our podcast. And the first half of the podcast that, that I was feeling with Katie, where I think she might not have understood the reason I had to go numerical on a movement screen early in my career was not because I was trying to rate and rank everybody to make them feel shamed for their loss of mobility or stability. If we don't use numbers, we're going to lie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Our narrative about movement is so fragmented and incomplete, but there's something about a numerical scale, the bell curves and the breakpoints, and turning movement into binary codes allows us to create the minimal effective dose for ankle mobility, the minimal effective dose. There's a tipping point on grip strength. You, you referenced it in your book. We've been seeing it across the spectrum. It doesn't mean you work a gripper. It means don't let your life be so sedentary that you lose that, that signature of, of strength that the grip strength is a proxy for deadlift. We found that flexed arm hang is actually a proxy for farmer's carries. Um, so there's so many proxies. And the funny thing is when we have a test that's a proxy, we wind up practicing the test. When we first introduced the movement screen and it, through evolution became a station at the NFL combine. We had a lot of people cramming for the movement screen. And I'm like, right. <laughs> you, 
that's like yeah. that's like cramming to get fiber in your diet. It's not gonna. It, you don't. You can't get it all in one day. It's not gonna come around good. It's basically giving us is your fitness and function working against each other? Because what we would often see is a myopic approach to performance or fitness would yield you a better runner, and now you can no longer deep squat or a better planker, but you just lost T-spine mobility, right? You're, yeah. you're a better presser, but it hurts to do a dead hang with your arms right now because you gave up some shoulder mobility in that endeavor. And the purpose of creating a movement screen that wound up giving us a test score is not so I would ever read you your test score. My communication about the way we rate and rank you on a movement screen or a Y balance test or some of our medical movement screening is so we can have a conversation to make sure we're on the weakest link of this thing. After, if, if I were to movement screen you and you had no background, I would say based on the few tests that we just did, I'm going right for your ankle mobility. And I'll tell you why. It showed through as a limitation in four of the seven patterns we just did. So it's sort of the cross section of maybe a bottleneck of your problem. Ankle mobility is not a big deal. We can show you how to get it back. But if you're thinking all I'm going to give you is ankle stretches, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to do things to limber up your ankles, but we're going to make you use your ankles in four different domains so that you can get this instrument back into the orchestra like it's supposed to be. So I would never convert your screen test or assessment with me into the numbers that I use to keep me and my colleagues communicating clearly and accountable for what we're doing. So I, I think that that could easily be, hey, what's your movement screen score? What's your, what's your balance score? What's your BMI? That's not why we're doing this thing. We're doing it so of all these numeric tests we're doing, which one's the bottleneck? Because I could throw this one out. Both body comp and ankle mobility are considered risk factors for your musculoskeletal health. But you and I both know, I'd probably start working on ankle mobility. BMI ain't going to change today. And I think your best bet to getting a broader movement life is for us to get your ankles back in. Because with stiff ankles, you can deadlift and do kettlebell swings, but squatting and lunging are off the table because you're going to be forced to compensate. Ankle mobility ain't going to let you here. So those are two great metabolic drivers we don't get to use for your body comp today because you just threw out an ankle mobility signature that says we're headed for disaster if we don't narrow the razor's edge of your return to fitness path. So, so many of the risk factors that we see are simply observational, not actionable. And the ones that are actionable actually have to do with your mobility, stability, balance, and, and whole movement patterns. Those are the ones where if we tap on those, the metabolics, the self-awareness, and, and, and really sort of priming that pump of actually enjoying movement again will, will happen. But if we focus on body comp and tell people to stand up straight and keep reading them their test scores, I don't blame them for walking away. Yeah. So I guess going back to like romanticizing and glorifying the child pre, say, kindergarten or five years old or exposure to high-heeled shoes or desks or asymmetrical backpacks, which nothing, I mean, asymmetrical is actually great. Asymmetrical farmer carry is asymmetrical in general. Your body's asymmetrical. It's not, you know, that's not to villainize that. But let's suggest that the child in relationship to gravity, you know, and essentially just reaching out with their hands to grab food and to taste and cultivate their microbiome and just, you know, pull in information and process. They're 
in that state, it, 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 it seems upon watching children that they're kind of, they're just, they are the symphony. You, you reference like an orchestra or a symphony, you know, and the musicians, there, there isn't a cacophony. It's just, it's this, this integration or connection. And there's not a knowing of what's happening. In fact, it's like the lack of a knowing that almost allows for the symphony to play. And then we transition in, into a, a place where we do start to create maybe some impingements or imbalances or maybe like a you know, sedentary-ness. And then to come back into allowing that symphony to be able to just play, you know, and have that, you know, the tensegrity of the body where it's like the sacrum is just floating and the bones, it's like they're in this dynamic tension. It's just like, ah, like you just, it's like, ah, like that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so going from going from the, the going from you know the linear structured teaching to the test version to coming back into that that place of you know that dynamic balance it's a it's a really interesting process <laughs> you know? no no it is and what we found is i think your awareness like if there was a 100 point scale on your movement abilities, right? Single leg stance, deep squatting, planking, pushing, pulling, crawling, hinging, whatever it is. If there were a 100 point scale and you knew you were a 60 and you were a 60, I think your risk of an injury or not successfully adapting to a new environment is much lower than if you think you're better than you are or you think you're worse than you are. So having that, I think, reliable calibration, since we have this lack of culture to run in the background is good. And what we usually see is people who don't have a lot of high tone or mobility burdens with enough activity, they'll figure it out. They, they really will. If you need to figure it out quicker and you need a periodization strategy, you do need a strength coach if, if, it's, if it's that time-based. But what we have really been advocates for is if you get your mobility squared away and appropriately scale your physical activity, that spring comes back, that, that awareness comes back. But there's so much chatter out there in the movement space. And, and literally, I think you came from more of a bodybuilding background, these, these isolation strategies. And when we look at the way a child grows and develops, we call that the neurodevelopmental progression. The World Congress basically looks at the first 21 months of life is being, I don't care whether you're born on the equator or at the North Pole or what culture you're born in, you go through a developmental sequence of laying on your back, rolling around, log rolling, segmental rolling, creeping, crawling, kneeling, squatting, standing, stepping, running. And the funny thing is we, we rate a growing baby as normal if they hit that developmental milestone within the time-based window that we needed them to. We don't measure their ankles. We don't measure their grip strength. We don't give a, a hoot about that little belly they got. If they make the developmental milestone, which is a behavioral pattern-based activity, locomotion manipulation, it's all good. The minute yeah. we cross that, now it's about baseball, t-ball, dance, gymnastics, paddle sports, whatever it is. And now all of a sudden, God becomes the golden calf. God becomes that, that ideal not that authentic. And, and Kelly and I have had that conversation too, is, is what does that authentic actually look like? And it's that state of freedom. We, I live in a very rural environment in Virginia. And when we're out hunting and stuff like that, you will see a coyote at 150 yards run across the horizon. And you know, 
in an instant that it is not a dog because of how springy and efficient they are when those feet hit the ground. It's almost like those, those paws have springs on them because they're using their fascial system at the utmost level of efficiency because all that coyote got to eat today was half a mouse. So we don't waste energy. We don't waste calories. We don't waste anything in nature. And I've never seen a dysfunctional deer. Uh, you just don't. Nature doesn't allow dysfunction to occur. Our convenience, our society, our, our country has allowed us to live a very, very long life in a very physically dysfunctional state. 80% of the U.S. right now thinks they're, they're fit and have at least one to two metabolic risk factors. So the, the general majority of this country did not used to be oh, obese or overweight. They now are. The minority is now not. And when you're arguing for a state of authenticity as a minority, that's a, that's a steep slope because people don't yeah. recognize it. As long as if the guy that lives next to you has got an oxygen bottle and the guy that is to the right of you limps, no matter how unhealthy you are, you're like, well, I'm better than them, so I must be good. <laughs> You know, I'd like to take a moment to share something that I've been taking to make sure I'm covering all the bases with getting my greens. I've been taking Organifi's green juice for the last, it's been about three months. And I really love this stuff. Uh, it tastes absolutely delicious. It's like one of the best beverages you could possibly serve on a hot summer day. Throw some ice on there. It contains not only greens, but also adaptogenic mushrooms such as ashwagandha. It also has matcha green tea. So it's excellent for energy support, antioxidants, and genuinely being a refreshing beverage. So if you would like to get yourself a 20% discount on this or any other Organifi product, you can jump over to Organifi.com slash Align. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash Align for 20% off. If you're not totally satisfied with your purchase, you can get your money back. I think you guys going to love the green juice. I hope you enjoy. That's it. That's all. Organifi.com slash Align. Also wanted to share something that has been an absolute game changer for my sleep and muscular recovery. That is magnesium, particularly mag breakthrough from BioOptimizers. Magnesium is a mineral that it's just wise to supplement. It's largely deficient in modern day soil. It's largely deficient in most people for that reason. And mag breakthrough is a fantastic complex of magnesium. It contains all different, all seven different forms. And it's fantastic. I even chew the, I open the capsules and taste it. I think it tastes great. might be a little weird, but uh, I genuinely appreciate the flavor of the product. And uh, I think it's important to implement into anyone's life if you care about your sleep, if you care about muscular recovery. And the best part is you can get yourself a discount by going over to magbreakthrough.com slash align podcasts. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash align podcast. And you'll get yourself a 10% discount on top of any other discounts they may have. So jump over to magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast for a discount. If you do not love this product, if it doesn't make a difference in your life, get your money back. No questions asked. I think you're going to dig it. That's it. Magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast. So it, it feels like, like kind of what you're, what you're suggesting is we essentially, we live on top of nature, you know, in a way we've kind of like conquered 
nature in quotations, which is no such thing. You know, I think you can, you can push these things around, you can push stressors around, but you don't get rid of the stressors, you just redistribute them. You know, so there may be more, less war in society. We may not be attacking our neighbors with like a, you know, a, 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 some weapon, but then you have the increase in the usage of antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and self-harm and obesity. And, you know, so I think you just push these stressors around, you know, and it, it, I do. I do. And, and I take everything. I really tried to, after our entire journey, because we, we put the, the, the functional movement screen out there in the late 90s. And, and I was a young guy and I just said, hey, this is one slice we're not getting. It, you know, Aristotle said the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. But we can't agree with that statement professionally if we don't measure both equally, right? I know how to measure ankle mobility, but I also know how to categorize your ability in deep squatting without weight, not as an exercise, as a rest position, right? I think you did an unbelievable job of getting up off the floor and saying there's so much posture and pattern just in that, that if you do this, you're going to keep the circuits open. You don't, you yeah. don't need a regimented class to do this. And, and I wholeheartedly agree because exploring that developmental progression, your birthright of the, it took you, it took you about a year and a half to get up and stand and take a few steps, but you can revisit every one of those circuits in a sun salutation or a Turkish get up, or just some of the stuff that you talked about, you know, getting up off the floor, maybe bias it, don't use your arms or something like that. These simple yeah. things when people can't do them, instead of just saying, why don't you, you know, grease the groove, you know, Pavel, just, just practice it for about a week because we're looking for that instant hack, that instant remedy, because so many of our answers come to us at the speed of Google now. But one of the yeah. things I've been telling myself, and, and I've been doing a lot of writing since the, since the pandemic is, listen, you can hack your answer, but you still must grow your solution. Reason being, you're biological. You're a cyclical, pattern-based living being that needs to read and write movement patterns a little bit better, and you got to know where you're broken to do that. But it's something about this isolation strategy that, that yeah. I guess it's, it's 50% of it's healthcare and 50% of it's bodybuilding. So we think we need to isolate the bicep to grow good arms. You don't just just hang around and pick up stuff. They'll grow. Yeah, I think I think that we, you know, one of the the amazing things about humans is our capacity for communication, our capacity for adaptation. You know, and and, and we are essentially, you know, we become the shape of our environment. You know, it's it's like incredible, and a, a massive aspect of what our environment presently is, it's it's becoming a technological environment. You know, and a mechanical environment, and so. You know, the human being is this vastly complex variable in systems theory, you know, this complex system compared to what, you know, a car is, which would be a complicated system. In a complicated system, it totally makes sense to isolate all the variables, you know, and, and just, you know, if your carburetor breaks, you replace the carburetor. It's very site specific with that. Whereas the human is this, it's this integrated system. You know, and so I, I would love to, I'm, I feel like I'm going in a very roundabout direction to, to perhaps if we could kind of paint a, you know, a blueprint, a basic podcast blueprint on how do we start to bring the person back into that complexity, you know, like transition from the complicated, I think I'm a machine back into this almost like effortless, seamless moving with nature organism while also operating within modern culture. 
you know, so it's, it's, it's not like you need to burn your couch, you know, and, and put it, get a tinfoil hat and like move out into the woods. It's like, how do we seamlessly integrate couches, chairs, buses, automobiles, computers, screens with that natural self? You know, that's, is there a, some starting point of, of, of sorts that we could kind of start to go with that? Well, your perspective? yeah, I'll go back. I'll go back to that. I'm a chronic sloucher. Okay. I'm, I just, I just do. And going, going through your book, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a chair. You can use the back half of it or you can use the front half of it, you know? And, and so there are just these practical tips. I think the, you know, when we're, we should probably seek shoes that are a little bit um, more minimal if possible. If you have foot problems, I wouldn't start there. I'd make sure you got somebody looking for the best interest of your, of your foot. But the one thing I've never seen people do is just take with footwear, for instance. We can do, we do a thing called a motor control screen. It's a, it's a, a abbreviated test off of uh, Phil Plisky's Y balance test, which is an abbreviated test off Gary Gray's star excursion test. But it's a single leg stance test where you reach in a few different directions. If you're barefoot and can reach better than you can in a shoe, then I'd keep trying on shoes till I got one that almost mimicked my ability in, in barefoot. We don't really have a good way to talk about function. Even though, you know, I feel like we're all saying these words, so much of media advertising is still about form. People don't realize you rarely in nature see something well-formed that's dysfunctional. Now we figured out how to do that. We've got steroids, we've got liposuction, we got plastic surgery, we've got spray on tan. So we can make you look way more physically robust than you are. But nature has never allowed that to happen. And biologically speaking, don't get me wrong, all mammals, higher mammals, groom themselves, but only after all other physical functions are met. We groom ourselves <laughs> in place of meeting those functions. Yeah, that's so. So, Philip, I'm sure you're familiar with Philip Beach, Muscles and Meridians. Yeah, Kelly told me about that book, and I've got it. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in that he refers to some of the positions that I, you know, I, I, I talk about in my book, I reference him and he calls these positions essentially like, like archetypal postures of repose or, or, or tuning mechanisms, you know, and that's the thing that I find really interesting. I, I feel like we don't need to add as much as we, as much as we're suggested to, I feel like there is a way to seamlessly integrate these these self-healing, self-regulating tuning mechanisms into the manner in which we navigate the modern world. You know, and one of those I think would be just, you know, getting the hell up and down off of the ground every now and again. You know, another one would be just maybe get your arms up over your head every now and again. Another one would be, you know, understanding the tool of your of your breath understanding your, your ocular muscles, you know, your, your eyes are, are, are neurological tissue. You know, so it's like getting that basic user's manual of like, holy God, every moment really is an opportunity to start to really like dig into this, this physical experience. I just, we haven't really, from what I've gathered, really got the education to be able to start to, to, to sink into that. Is that something that you, do you align with, with that, that we can seamlessly integrate these tuning practices into our daily lives or do you feel like it's supportive to have a separation or both no i i i think first and foremost we should always lead with good nutrition before we yeah. seek supplements and we should seek supplements before we seek medications 
I feel the exact same way about movement. A healthy diet of movement should meet your needs. If it doesn't, we got a few supplements. And if that doesn't work, we've got some help on the other side of that. But I'd love to share with you, uh, I went back to the drawing board and looked at all the correctives that we came up with because uh, we all in this space, we find quick ways to get the movement we want. The question is, is it sustainable and can they maintain it without us? And so I've always been a little bit obsessed with, I know what the on-ramp to get to Gray Cook is, right? You hurt yourself or you, you, know, you, you, you come through the path. What's the off-ramp? Because yeah. I'm not looking for long-term relationships. All my long-term relationships are set. <laughs> I got three daughters. I got a wife. I got a bunch of uh, hunting and fishing buddies. I'm good there. So I need short-term relationships where I didn't just have a transaction. There was a transformation. That makes me, that makes me feel good. I'd like to share with you a thing called a starter path. It's basically a little bit of a dance of getting up off the floor, but the, the way we ask you to do it really does ping certain circuits and crossroads and movement that are often found dysfunctional. They're cross-body patterns, but it's basically getting up and going down and getting up and going down. And there's a way to get up by rolling to the right side, and there's a way to get up by rolling to the left side. And the only thing I ask people to do is talk about how that felt getting up from your back, going to the left, going to the right, and do that for a week. We also have these flows, one sort of targeted at mobility, one stability, and one symmetry that literally are a little bit more prescriptive if, I love the way you did the archetypes of the different bodies, the, the, the bendy people and, and, and stuff like that. That's, you know what, we, we see <laughs> that in the um, bite and brighten criteria because one of the catches we get doing movement screening and balance testing is congenital hypermobility. Whether you're going full spectrum, Ehlers Danlos syndrome, people born with just really, really uh, uh, you know, flexible joints, that's not, that's not an asset sometimes. That's a liability sometimes. So we want to catch the people that are predisposed to scoliosis. We want to catch the people predisposed to a leg length discrepancy. And we want to catch people predisposed to, I'll never be tight, even though I'll always ask you to stretch me out. The people who are hypermobile are always looking for soft tissue work and stretching, but a few minutes of stability work makes them feel like they're racked and stacked like no amount of soft tissue ever would. So what we've tried to do is say, listen, while I'm working on your ankle mobility, I want you to do this starter path. I want you to do this flow. And all it is, is a series of positions, patterns, and transitions that literally are designed to lock up your gears until you quit locking them up. Get out of your own way. So if you'll get up this way, or if you'll do a toe touch this way, I will make hip hinging emerge in you without me telling you to hip hinge. Now, there's some people, you and I still got to get in there. We got to touch them. We got to put a band around them, and we got to force the hip hinge to get them there. There, But I would rather somebody take a week and find a hip hinge than me take five minutes and tell them because if they find it, they'll never lose it. And if I tell them, they'll forget when they slam the car door. And, and so I'm very, yeah. I, I want to do this sort of Rocky Balboa. I'm going to win this fight right-handed even though I'm a lefty because you and I both have had to articulate a thousand different ways how to move. But if I can get somebody moving by just showing them this and allowing them 
to have some friction. There is no such thing as a mobility or a stability station. And that's us trying to be one-off jobs by doing it. The best way to sand two boards simultaneously is rub them together. They both get smooth. So I can get your ankle mobility and core stability simultaneously by picking a certain attack on the deep squat and scaling it to your current abilities. And and I, I think I saw you a while back on, on a beach just using the different elevations we can create to have. I mean, it's much easier to squat mm. with your heels up facing downhill. Okay, let's start there. But yeah. the hill's coming away. And, and so I would much rather give you a path and have you honor that path with just daily uh, participation. When, when, when I first had my exposure to Pavel and back in the RKC days when, oh, hell, to get a kettlebell certification felt like pretty badass boot camp, when we would try to get uh, a single leg pistol uh, on either side, Pavel's instruction were, don't make pistols part of your workout. Go practice a pistol every hour. Grease the groove. You know, make the motor pattern. You're not going to get the tissue for the pistol until you get the software that runs the pistol right. And if we try to bang out a bunch of pistols on poor form, you're going to learn how to do poor pistols the rest of your life. So hitting that one-off time every now and then really lets your brain know, this ain't going away. Let's figure this out. And, and so I really do yeah. wish people would be a little bit more patient and realize it took you a while to grow out of form and function and just give yourself a little bit more time to grow back in and you'll never forget how you got there because it's, it's, built, it's baked in there. So I, I got a few videos, I'll share them with you and I'd love you to run them through you know, your, your filters and see, does this meet that need? Because if you watch somebody do these, you'll instantly go into assessment and evaluation mode. But the neat thing is, if we'll you know, cover our mouth and not say a word, those boxes that we're checking on imperfections the first day, by day seven, they've scrubbed a lot of it off. And now you as a, as a raw for manual therapist, me as a PT manual therapist, I know exactly where my soft tissue bullseye is. Everything else has been taken care of. I feel that the... Uh, as far as Philip Beach self-tuning mechanisms go, I think one of the, the highest on the, the movement hierarchy, if there was some illusory movement hierarchy, would be walking. You know, and if you can get yourself in, just you know, walk more often would be a starting point, but then you kind of get yourself into a situation where, well, if there's a bunch of misalignments, you know, and you're kind of like have little, little mini forest fires happening in your knees and your ankles and your spine, you know, then it's like, well, we need to maybe draw back and get into some functional movement screening, get into some, some, some rehab-based exercises, isolate those specific points so that we can build the body back to the point where it does play as an orchestra. Now you need to play. And, and so I, I would love f to hear your lens on kind of just painting like an anatomical structural depiction of what it means to walk well, because it's one of those you know, it feels almost trite to like, oh, walking, come on. You know, it's like, well, it, it, it's, it actually is, a, you know, just like standing, you know, there's, there's this beautiful complexity to it. And if all of the individual parts are functioning and they're connected and integrated, um, you know, suddenly I think it becomes a really powerful tuning mechanism to use that same Philip Beach language. Do you, do you, how do you I, feel about I, that? Well, when I first came to physical therapy, one of the best ways we talked about posture was with you standing up against a grid, right? This plexiglass with a bunch of squares yep. on it. But uh, you know who uh, Vladimir Yanda is? 
Yeah, oh, yeah, Yonda. Yeah, yeah, yeah Phasic, Phasic. I got Connor. to meet that guy. Um, and 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 oh, wow. he actually the very first time I published the movement screen, I told him the same thing he was saying with upper and lower crossed syndrome, how we, you know, yep. we lose our glutes and lose our abs and find our hip flexors and find our low back extensors. It's almost like we reverse the pattern we were designed to do. And Yonda said, I see this pattern in both people who are overtrained and undertrained. And I would say probably misprogrammed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, your work inspired me to try to create this screen that we could use in sports, military, exiting rehab, entering a new fitness environment that just lets us know how far off the mark is this thing. And the first order of business for people in, in, in my and your situation is do no harm because we can easily create a series of sets and reps that gets the injury quicker, not, not less quick. Yonda's observation of posture was single leg stance. He said, do not look at posture. And he, he wrote this in one of his translated compendiums. Do not look at posture in bipedal stance. 80% of the gait cycle is predominantly more on one leg than the other. Therefore, the moving human's posture can be better seen as functional or dysfunctional in single leg stance. So when I watch somebody in single leg stance, and number one, they can't hold it for 20 seconds. Number two, they go into maybe valgus collapse at the knee or Trendelenburg at the hip. They just have all this collapse. Or the better way to say it to the listeners that don't know the big words is you shouldn't lose height in single leg stance. So when, I, when you're standing with your back to me and I'm like, okay, now pick up one foot and you shouldn't lose two inches because you're losing those inches in, in gait or running as well. The old track coaches, look at the kid who's headed and bobbing. They're, they're the most efficient. They may not be the fastest, but I got more to work with you know, there. And, and so Yonda's forecast of we should even look at posture more in single leg stance goes right back to what you're saying. If gait's not right, um, it's not. My one is I'll put people on a balance beam and I will look at how much unnecessary upper body movement they have. They should be somewhat motorically quiet from the waist up. But when we see them flapping their arms and hinging their spine and stuff like that, simply to walk narrow, because I've been reading this for the last 30 years, the best runners and walkers usually have their foot strikes within four inches of each other, meaning good walking, good running actually has a more narrow base than you think. And one of the tricks I've done to, to show that to people is I'm like, we're going to go walk up this hill. And if I will get you to sort of over strive to the midline going up the hill, you immediately find your posterior chain and you just ascend right up the hill. But a lot of people, when they go up a hill, they'll start walking wide. Biomechanically, it's the worst thing they could do. So if you already see somebody walking wide, bobbing their head or having a lot of lateral sway, you almost want to say, I wish I could slow you down. And so I've got two ways to do this. I qualitatively get you back into your stance by just letting you work it out on a balance beam. And the balance beam I might give you is an inch off the ground and it's six inches wide, or it might be two inches wide. But that also makes me think of a guy named Phil Maffetone. You know that guy? Okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, not of course. Well, Phil yeah, Maffetone, as a chiropractor way back in the 80s, didn't get to his heart rate model from a cardiovascular metabolic standpoint. He had such a good eye for mechanical running, walking postures that he said, I'm going to watch heart rate. 
And I'm going to look at whatever level of cardiovascular expenditure you dump your biomechanics because everybody dumps their biomechanics at a certain level of capacity. And what he realized is most people don't start making serious biomechanical errors until they're in their mid or high range of cardiovascular expenditure. So that's where he got this whole Maffetone formula. And really, when I look at Phil Maffetone and Wim Hof, they're coming at the same problem two different ways. Wim Hof will overbreathe you to get you ready for the activity. Phil Maffetone say, will say, never move faster than you can breathe in your lowest zone. You're going to get more efficient, so you're going to be covering more ground at the same heart rate uh, as you get more, more efficient. So I think there is a cardiovascular load that sometimes we ambitiously seek that makes us dump our biomechanics. And I think there's some bad biomechanics at any cardiovascular load we bring to it. So if we see wide, sloppy, uh, lateral shifting, bouncing, walking, we keep truing that walking. And I'll use a balance beam or bear crawls. Bear crawl being a primal reciprocal pattern, walking being a less primal. And what we see just with tightening the quality without instruction is about five or 10 minutes of play in bear crawling or balance beam, we can pick up a short response of better single leg stance simply for about the next half hour. That means any programming we put right there is on an, probably the best optimized base, even though it will erode after the half hour. What can we do in five minutes to maybe get some of the junk off the machine so that you can hear or feel or consume this movement meal better. So prepping, yeah. prepping with quality and then putting those quantitative limits is how we keep them in a constructive slot. Yeah. I, I feel like one of the, the kind of foundational bridges to supporting the body to kind of arrive at that, that point where it, it, it is you know, starting to become more of an integrated system you know, as opposed to like a bunch of isolated parts. Which there's a I learned recently the second law in thermodynamics is isolated systems will will either stay consistent or veer deeper into entropy. So they'll kind of yep. fall apart. And I was like, God dang, like that's you know, that's the body. You know, and so so I, I think the most sophisticated systems of, you know, movement, life, wellness, business, family, anything would kind of veer towards greater levels of of wholeness, you know, and integration. You know, and, and I feel like the, within walking, the, there's a bridge in the midsection. And I think a big part of that bridge would be like a common tendency with a lot of people, I, I fall into this category, would be the learned pattern of flaring the ribs, you know, and putting excessive tension in the lumbar spine and kind of like missing. There's like, it's like the, the bridge is kind of, kind of separated there between the upper body and the lower body and i've experienced myself and working with you know tons of people clients friends family etc of starting to just educate on breathing mechanics as a, a a bridge to create strength to create stability and then also flexibility you know iyengar said breath is the king of the mind and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. it's like the, it's like that that bridge of the breath it's one of those things you hear you know, when you're younger and you're like, oh yeah, whatever, like let's muscle up, like just give me a right. muscle up. And then I think with time you come more, it's like almost like every, it's like reading the same book. You know, you read it again. You're like, oh, I understand it a little bit different. You know, like I think breath is that book. 
And then, so I wonder how your perspective on breath has shaped over over the years. And I wonder if you have any any sense on you know that that bridge between the upper and lower body and and you know the you know, respiratory mechanics being you know a, a bit of like a you know connector between. No, the it two. it is, and and as a matter of fact, as when we started this thing, we just wanted to be the movement pattern, movement signature, maybe risk management guys doing this movement screening station. Uh, as a physical therapist, I went deeper into these breakouts where we can see regional interdependence. Now we know how the left ankle can affect your right shoulder. It's, it's not a theory anymore. We yeah. can connect those dots. The fascial system tells us to, the muscular system tells us to, the neurological system tells us to. But as a Western trained physical therapist and strength coach, I was not taught to incorporate a lot of breath unless there was a respiratory diagnosis, right? Yet we, we look at martial arts and yoga, both at least 4,000 years old. They never thought to teach a move without also linking it to its signature breath sequence that is the most fruitful there. So when I learned to do kettlebell swings, that's a completely different breathing sequence than we would do with a Turkish getup. There's a kettlebell involved in both, but there's a different way to breathe. When I'm on a stand-up paddleboard and I'm hitting a good cadence, there's a breathing cadence that actually makes me better, and there's one that, that makes me worse. And so the first thing I, I think we do when breathing became vogue a few years back is we all started coaching breath, the diaphragmatic breath. Well, why don't you see what postures they still use the diaphragmatic breath in and which ones they don't? Because don't assume that bad breathing goes all the way up through all the postures and patterns. If you've got a really sucky left lunge, your breathing signature when you lunge left is completely different than the one when you lunge right. So in doing what we do, we started doing a breathing screen. And it's just like the bolt test you talked about in your book. And we, we capture that breathing dysfunction as well. When I know you have a breathing pattern and a movement pattern, I will find your biggest movement obstacle. And then we will give you a breathing sink. And in, in a nutshell, we actually reverse the common exercise lingo of exhale on the exertion. When the spine is flexing, say we're, we got you on maybe a little bit of a toe lift and we're just running through some toe touch uh, patterns, we will actually have you exhale on the flexion and inhale on the extension. Or when we need more spine stability, we actually have you use inspiration as a secondary abdominal light brace and exhalation as a neurological tonal release. And so there's a lot of things we do at the very base of corrective exercise now that are highly influenced by breathing. If your movement patterns are good and your breathing's bad, we'll use your movement patterns to heal your breathing. And if your breathing is worse than your movement, then we'll sink it the other way. Either way, you'll see how we did it in those videos I, I said I'd send, especially the flows. We the first time, we just let you go through the moves. The second time, we give you, hey, when you're going down, make it an exhale. And when you're coming back up, make it an inhale. And they're like, wow, that's so different. Like, yeah, it, it's going to feel natural. You, you'll probably never do it again. But it's giving them permission to realize that, that breath and movement are linked forever. When I get, if I, if I get away from the kettlebell for a month or two because it's traveling or whatever, come back into it, 
I'm always now more worried about my breathing than what size kettlebell I start back with. And, and you know, it's, it, it, just, it just fits. And so it took Western culture and Western exercise science to completely forget about breath and then try to jam it back in with a bunch of diaphragmatic pontifications on the back end and think it'll help, you yeah. know? I want to take a moment and share one of my favorite tools in my home. I am sitting on it right now. It is warming my butt. It is boosting my circulation and it's making me feel really good. It is the higher dose infrared and PEMF mat. What I love about this thing is essentially it's like sitting on a warm rock and that's because it literally is a warm rock. It's laced with amethyst crystals, also tourmaline crystals, as well as a layer of charcoal and clay and is emitting not just infrared, but you also have the option to to turn on the PEMF option. So that's pulsed electromagnetic frequencies. All of this is supportive with circulation, with tissue repair, tissue regeneration, better sleep, mood, and it's just great. I love resting on this thing. I record all my podcast introductions on this thing. I record my podcast interviews if they're remote on here, and I get up feeling like my joints feel more mobile. I feel lighter, I feel more well-rested, and it's just cool. I have it sitting out in the middle of my living room on the rug. And so whenever people come over, they're invited to sit down on the mat and uh, I love it. People love it. I think you guys are gonna dig it as well. If you wanna get yourself a discount on the mat, a 15% discount, you can go to higherdose.com slash align. That is higher, H-I-G-H-E-R, dose, D-O-S-E, dot com slash align for a 15% discount. If you do not love this mat, get your money back. No questions asked. I think you guys are you're going to absolutely dig it. Jump over to higherdose.com slash align for a 15% discount. I want to take a moment and share a resource that has been invaluable for my mental, emotional, and physiological well-being. That is an app referred to as Open. What Open does is provide a plethora of world-class teachers on breathwork, meditation, and mindfulness practices. So you get 30 days free by using the Align code. If you're interested in trying this yourself, I've been using it for the last month and I really dig it. You just set it up on your phone or laptop or wherever and you get a plethora of amazing teachers and they walk you through different practices ranging from a few minutes to longer than that. I did a breathwork practice that is amazing for boosting energy levels, boosting cognitive clarity. It's something that I regularly do before recording a podcast in particular. Uh, if I'm feeling maybe a little bit brain fog I'm feeling a little tired. Just knocking out this nine minute breath practice, which I included on my Instagram handle at Align Podcast. You can check it out. Uh, it's amazing. And so having that in the palm of my hand in my cell phone that I can set it up anywhere, anytime, uh, invaluable tool. And like I said, you can try it absolutely free by utilizing the Align code and going to open together.com slash align. That's open, O P E N dash together t-o-g-e-t-h-e-r dot com slash align 30 days absolutely free if you do not absolutely love it then cancel no biggie i think it would be silly for y'all not to try this because it's absolutely free so jump over to open dash together dot com slash align to get your breath work and mindfulness on and then, and then the, where the other part that breath, I think, comes in is, is just general regulation of the autonomic nervous system. And, you know, like Tony Robbins would be called, you know, your, your state, you know, change your state. And uh, that's then tied into our perception of sensation, you know, and sensation that we, we could put into a category of pain. 
you know, and there's you know, so much interesting research and in around the, you know, the biopsychosocial models of, of, of pain compared to maybe more strictly mechanical model. And, you know, so one of the interesting things within that is like one, just a person being able to experience phantom limb pain, you know, it's like, well, you have pain in your finger and you literally have no objective finger to have pain in, you know, and there's other ones where it's, there's one specific one where it's like a cold rod. They would hold this cold rod on various different subjects and some they would show a red light, some they would show a blue light. And surely enough, you just seeing a blue light, suddenly it feels a little bit cooler, a little bit safer. You know, so our lives are painted with these filters, you know, throughout every moment of every day. And I think that life is kind of a process of beginning to be able to observe the fact that you have filters in the first place, you know, and, and I think that breath, once again, is one of those levers that's been utilized for, for millennia to come back into that, that state of, of observation. And I guess where I'm going with this is I, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on on pain as a whole like what is pain what is phantom limb pain what is chronic pain you know like what like it's 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 such a nuanced subject subject and uh, i think we're, we're craving objective definitive structural linear definitions yep. for what it is and then if you keep pulling the layers back it's kind of like well, do we actually even know what that is you know it's 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 a, it's a suggestion to create change you know, that's, that seems to be well, certain. Well, Aristotle said but. pain is life's greatest teacher and, and used in, in nature. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you watch a, a young puppy with its mother, she quickly will show the puppy <laughs> that that's not what we bite. We don't do that. You know, they'll, so it's yeah. always been used as a, as a quick teaching tool or a natural feedback loop until we get into a society that's more concerned with comfort than anything else. And now we have an entire two generations of humans that have grown up and anything perceived as uncomfortable, therefore by default must be painful. Oh, that's a slippery slope. But you watch, you can't watch TV for five minutes. Don't let the pain sideline you. Take ibuprofen, put on your magnet-based knee strap and get out there and keep playing tennis and erode your knee until we can replace it with a titanium thing that's going to need to replace, be replaced in another 10 years. And so we've almost started putting pain in this inconvenient thing like a rainy day and here's your umbrella. Whereas instead of a signal to alert you that you're the one in disharmony. The two ways I tell people when when we immediately feel pain in our lives right now as westerners, we are taught to ask the question, what's wrong with me? We never ever ask the question, am I doing it wrong? Right. And so that right there blew our minds away because we created this movement screen to get a signature of mobility and stability problems. And when we introduced it at high school physicals, 20% of the athletes failed due to pain, not a low score. When I showed up at the RKC, Brett Jones asked for a show of hands how many people trained with pain. I think we had 30%. And probably more so than that. Pain, if, if, if you've trained yourself or played sports, pain's always there. And I think it's because we do physical development wrong. I had 18 fractures before I turned 18. I was born with a congenital hernia. So I think the, the first time it was sewn up, the second time I blew it out in college, it was repaired with mesh. Since then, I've got a titanium plate in my neck. I've been throwing myself at the world and, and coming out worse for it. 
for a long time. But when we realized how many people are out there exercising, training, and living with pain, the research was coming back to us saying people who are training and, and, and working and dealing with pain on a daily basis have movement responses to that pain that are inconsistent and unpredictable. Meaning if we can induce pain, we can inject saline solution in a spinal segment, put you on a force plate and perturb you and see all these, how can I say, disorganized attempts to reorganize yourself. If you've got pain right now, that's the one risk factor that we're like, let's figure out where that's coming from. It doesn't mean you have to not be physically active, but you've got to pay attention to that. Covering it up is probably the worst thing you can do. We don't want you to lose sleep or be disabled. But if you're currently training with pain, there's a much better question to ask than how can I do this exercise without pain? It's ask yourself what you're doing wrong. And most of the time, those of us dealing with musculoskeletal pain have a more of an upstream problem than orthopedics. We, we had a large military study we did with the Y-balance test and functional movement screen. And when we're looking at soldiers that had intentionally been dehydrated and sleep deprived, their movement scores and balance scores dropped like 20 or 30%. Now, how many, of cli- how, how many times have you ever worked with a client that's sleep deprived and probably tissue dehydrated at the same time? Because you and I are getting ready to prescribe them some soft tissue and an exercise instead of saying, here, drink a glass of water and go get some sleep. And all of a sudden they rebound and here's a different movement signature. So most of us working in the movement field, musculoskeletal field, are dealing with, with eight different domains poisoning the movement pool. I'm going to read them off to you. We've got movement health, your current state of movement readiness. We've got behavioral health, your psychological state, your awareness, easily controlled by breathing. The one you can't remove is your injury history. I just gave you my laundry list. I don't know how long yours is. Breathing quality <laughs> is number four. Your current level of physical activity, your body composition, your sleep wellness, and your nutrition awareness. Those are eight components. And when I was going through your book, you were nailing the grip strength, the ankle mobility. All of these things are actual risk factors for your next musculoskeletal incident. And they just keep stacking. And the place we got it wrong in healthcare is we've known about metabolic problems for 100 years. Metabolic syndrome is about 50 years old. But metabolic syndrome doesn't make a lot of sense because it's supposed to tell us we're headed to a heart attack long before we've got hypertension, high triglycerides bad insulin response, right? So there's five metabolic risk factors and four of them are already a diagnosis, meaning it's not a syndrome anymore. You've already got harm. So we wanted to come at musculoskeletal health a little bit different and say, we got to get upstream. Dan, Dan Heath's book, Upstream, is a great book talking about how so many of us see stiffness and want to assign a stretch, not realizing that 80% of mobility problems you see is inappropriate tone inappropriate breath, inappropriate alignment. Don't stretch something in a poor alignment. It's only going to hurt it worse. So we want to have that knee-jerk reaction. We see weakness. We want a strength program. We see tightness. We want a mobility program. But if we would go upstream in movement and realize most of us are living in a semi-toxic environment, we're sitting wrong, we're breathing shallow, we're sleeping in 
poor hygiene situations. And most of us are borderline dehydrated, meaning if you're getting ready to do something really physical, this is a bad place to start. We're well hydrated for a sedentary day, but we're not well hydrated for an, an active day. So what we started doing alongside our movement screening and balance test is saying, let's look at all the upstream influences and not just issue movement correctives to people living in a toxic environment. Let's, let's go ahead and start looking at what their Fitbit, their Aura Ring, whatever else they're doing says. And instead of trying to fix bad movement, what if for a couple of weeks, we looked at your movement signature as the canary in the coal mine? What if I didn't try to fix your balance or activate your glute or reinstall the arch in your foot or get your anterior head posture back? What if I just unburden your life? Because you know how grip strength is a signature of long-term health? Well, I've literally done a neck adjustment or dry needling and changed somebody's grip strength by 30%. That wasn't weakness. That was inhibition. And so if we could spend a couple of weeks unburdening the movement system. I'm not a sleep expert. I'm not a nutrition expert. I, I, I live with one, but I'm not one. I'm not a breathing expert, but I know the minimum effective dose of these things and how they affect movement downstream. So instead of running out there and, and you know dry needling and rolfing everything we find, let's unburden the system in this two-week endeavor of detoxing life and just flushing the system and breathing better and learning how to sit better and doing some of these little videos I want to send you getting up and down off the floor. In two weeks, they will be more aligned, more movement aware, probably breathing with a little more integrity and ready for treatment. It's almost like people are so broken on so many domains. Me and you doing manual therapy on them right now won't hold. It's like writing a, a beautiful document and not hitting save. And so our best software now, AI and, and 30 years of movement screening have brought us to, let's look at the upstream influences that are going to make movement toxic. And let's look at the quick remedies that'll fix movement and let's hold back. Let's not treat that which could be prevented for two weeks and see how much this system can be adjusted upstream and how much has to be dealt with with, with our hands. And, and it's, 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 really, yeah. it's really enlightened us. And so we're looking at the multifactorial influences. I can't change your BMI today. I can't change your injury history. I'm not going to really change your activity level today. You and I can both do a lot for ankle mobility, but we also see ankle mobility when it won't hold hamstring tightness when it won't yeah. hold. And so I've really tried to use our model just as one piece of the puzzle and not be so gung-ho with my movement magic and correctives. Even though I know they work, it does me no honor when they only work temporarily. And by the time you get to the parking lot, you're the same person that, that walked in the door. I, I really want to, you know, talk about those things and be able to monitor those. So if I realize, do I need to rejigger my movement medicine or are you just not cleaning up the lifestyle on the back end? And it's, it's been very rewarding to see in our sports models with our, with our pro uh, team consulting, we see these, these things happen unbelievably quick because when you're working with pro athletes, their neurological system is just highly adaptable. And 
they're not quite as toxic as somebody who's doesn't ha- get paid to work out and play. But but it works either way. Yeah. You just you just need to be a little bit patient and realize if it took you two years to get in this state, two extra weeks to detox as we're watching the canary in the coal mine, because all of those guys in the military that were dehydrated and sleep deprived, once they got their sleep and their hydration, they came back and posted better movement screens. Nobody touched them and they didn't do correctives. So that taught me, let's, let's not fix people that don't deserve to be fixed yet when 50% of the fix is this just them being more self-aware of, hey, you take better care of your car than you do your body. You, 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 that startup sequence where all the gauges tell you everything's good and, you know, we, we don't do that. And getting up off the floor can do that. Simple balance awareness can do that. You know, moving meditation and breathing can do that. So I want to finish with one particular question, but then also just hit on another thing. I'm all hopped up on, on Felton Chris because I'm reading one of his books right now, Awareness Through Movement. And uh, one of the concepts that he's, he describes as, as parasitic tension, which is kind of what you're describing now in a way. It's these, these held compensatory patterns that we just, we think it's who we are because we don't know any different, you know, and it's, you know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And, and there's so many aspects of ourselves that it's just like that story of, you know, you feeling like you continually need to have tension in your fill in the blank place. Um, you've never experienced what it's like to actually truly downregulate and actually truly relax and actually truly, you know, come into that place of, of like effortlessly inhabiting yourself. Like, what would that be like to effortlessly inhabit your, your physical body? And I think, uh, you know, a part of that, you know, is just is that that process of slowly peeling the layers back of self-awareness, you know, and, and when, within that self-awareness, I think it's having a good PT. I think it's going through a functional movement screen. I think it's, you know, reading the books and being around, you know, the, the, the people that are, are walking that path themselves. I think it's maybe mindfulness practices. I think it's, you know, there's so many different layers to that but it's like that's just the i've had so many experiences in myself where it's like man oh man i have been pretty much driving this machine completely ass backwards for 20 years and then ah like you know someone showed me how to breathe more effectively or how to create intra-abdominal pressure how to you know be able to to do these like baseline fundamentals that you know i thought i knew what i was doing but i was actually you know like not even not even close. <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. You know, I, and, and I I have issued <laughs> I have issued uh, rules and regulations on stage with the mic that I realized in hindsight I wasn't even following in my own life. And and oh you know, man, it feels like every six months there's a new thing. It's like ah yeah. God, I don't I don't think I don't think <laughs> I'm a little I don't better. Think you ever arrive. I know uh, what you said about Feldenkrais is very important, and we actually have a a great scientific observation of his unbelievably clear stated thing that that parasitic tone. We call it a high threshold strategy, and I have clinically mm-hmm. witnessed it in athletes who have been over obsessed with core training. They're trying to create an abdominal brace. But when you're running up a hill on a sand dune, your abs are never symmetrically contracted. It's this uh, internal and external oblique TA multifidus interplay where they're all just doing things to stabilize whichever side of the body is doing the thing at the time. Whereas we've got this sort of side plank, abdominal brace crunch mentality, 
and we see so many poor movement screens. And now I have a quick trick. I can actually go in with dry needles and hit some trigger points, iliac crest and abdominals, and totally Botox your abdominals for the next 15 minutes. And it's amazing. They go, oh my gosh, I can breathe. And so it's, it's that mm. abdominal brace that occurs from inappropriate training, training around an injury, or I've even seen it in quite a bit of PTSD where you're braced against the world for other reasons. And I think we need to be very aware of that. If you're aware of the Faber test where somebody just lays on their back, flexion, abduction, external rotation, and just post their ankle on their opposite knee and just let that, that hip should just drop out flat. And when we see all this abdominal tension and tone and people don't want you palpating their abdominals, you almost have to get that shield off of them to do anything. And what we found is the simple floor-based rolling and, and getting up off the floor breaks that. So much so that if you were to do the breathing test before and after getting up off the floor, but making it playful, put some music up, have them flush a breath at the top, have them flush a breath at the bottom, don't make it seem like exercise, restate that breath hold at the end of that after appropriate rest, they'll post about 10 to 15 seconds longer breath hold at the exact same need to breathe and won't even know it's a longer amount of time. And so anytime I can get an authentic state of readiness, a little bit more optimized, and I didn't tell you how to do it, I know we're, we're getting in there. Some people, yes, it's a full-on therapy session and we got to do it for them. But I'm constantly trying to disadvantage myself more and see if I can get that authentic baseline to emerge through something that they participate in instead of what I do for them. That's amazing. Man, thank you so much. Once again, I've already blown all the, all the smoke <laughs> up your ass. Uh, but I've been, I've been following your stuff for years. And, it, and it's, I, it's like, it, it's really amazing for you to have actually gone through it sounds like you've like really properly went through my book because truly a, a lot of what i create is truly on the shoulders of of what what you've been pioneering over the years it's it's you know it just it means a lot to hear that something that that we or i and my team suggest that i do is at the end we've been doing a specific question to include in the aligned mm -hmm. community it's totally free people can jump over there and check that out and so i'd, I'd be curious to, as for a question to include in there as far as integration techniques, practices, exercises, lifestyle choices, like how do does an individual make what they may gather from, you know, your work with with FMS or if they go see a physical therapist or a massage therapist or an acupuncturist and they're like, wow, man, suddenly like, man, my ankle range of motion's good, my shoulders movement's good. Like I feel like that tension in my thoracic spine that was there for the last six years is like, oh, I can breathe. What would your top, you know, say two, three, whatever comes to mind, techniques, practices, perspectives to make those transitions stickier be? What, what comes to mind for you? As, as far that? as maybe a, a, an exercise model or, or self-practice to do? Or? Anything that comes to mind. It could be start thinking about the world this way. It could be change your environmental conditions, your home, your office, you know, to start to fit that new range of motion. It could be a, a specific do a plank in this specific way. It could be breathe in this specific way. But I just wonder, like integration-based approaches right. to make the changes that we experience, you know, stick. 
Hope you guys dug that conversation. If you want to hear Gray's response to this question and much more, you can jump over to alignpodcast.com slash community. It is absolutely free. And there are responses from Dr. Kelly Starrett, uh, Dr. Eric Goodman from Foundation Training. It's a thriving group of really rad individuals. And I pop in there pretty much every day to say what's up and just see what's going on in there. So jump over to alignpodcast.com slash community to check us out there. Thank you so much, man. I hopefully we can do this again at some point because I'd love to keep on going. What's where's the best place to to point people to go deeper into your work, which I would you know I couldn't recommend more. Functionalmovement.com and shameless plug. Uh, I just wrote a book called The Business of Movement, and it's all about putting that system theory together and making sure we're working on the right upstream thing. It's probably more for those of us uh, providing service than consuming service, but. For those enthusiasts, those people consuming our services, there's there's a way to use this information and and use your nutrition and your soft tissue and your exercise and and even when do I need an assessment with a with a professional and and I, I tried to put that in because we've gone into so many organizations and when I've worked in the NFL or in the military, I really don't tell them anything new, but I teach the strength coaches how to talk to the sports medicine people. And in that conversation, Stu and I talked about that when we did our, it wasn't a debate at all, but they build it that way when we, when we went toe-to-toe at Stanford. It's about communication and accountability at each level of physical development. We should make these transitions good and not lose people yep. between the silos. And we do. There's a lot of business between the silos of healthcare, wellness, fitness, and performance. And, you know, that's where a lot of good business can be had because all we've got to do is be able to talk it both ways. And, and it is the same thing. It's just movement at, from a disabled level all the way to a gold medal level and everything in between. I feel like a, a big, ridiculous asshole because I didn't realize that you, you um, did that. It just came out March 17th. What a dumb, big, dumb animal I am. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it just now came out and uh, it's, it's on, uh, it's on a, an ebook format. It's paperback. And it's my first right. book that I ever took to audio. I read a little bit of it and I got somebody with a better voice to read the rest of it. So Amazing. Um, I'm going to get it immediately. I'm literally, I'm literally buying it right now. It's number one new release in physical medicine rehabilitation and uh, just came out. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I so greatly appreciate you once again. And uh, hopefully if you ever come out to Austin, Texas, we'd love to get, we can get out and, and uh, do some redneck stuff. We can go shoot bows and shoot guns and, and do all the things if you're, if you're up to such things. That sounds great. And same thing to Virginia. I got a wood-fired sauna, a spring-fed nice. cabin, places to paddleboard, trail run, and we got plenty of Indian clubs. So Cool. Yeah, my, my place, I'm, I'm looking at the river right now, and I'm looking at a paddleboard right in front of the river. So we're, I think we're, we're attuned in these, in, in these ways. Oh, yes. Yeah, I appreciate oh, yes. it. All right. Um, you're just going to be fitter than me, but I'll, I'll deal with that later. So <laughs> you're, you're, you're smarter, wiser, and you know, probably more competent in most other aspects of life. So <laughs> you're fine. Um, all right. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Thank you all for tuning in. That's it. That's all over now. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Per mention, you can jump over to alignpodcast.com slash community to get the last question. Uh, and it was a good one. I really greatly appreciate Gray's perspective on the body, on movement, on the mind-body relationship. And once again, I'm just so dang honored to get to host this podcast for you guys to be here listening. And um, it 
implementing this information into your lives uh, to get to gather people like freaking Gray Cook. For a lot of you, I'm sure Gray is a very big deal for me. He's a, a huge deal. And I'm just so grateful to get to share this conversation. So jump over to alignpodcast.com slash community where we'll be discussing this conversation and also getting that final clip. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for implementing this stuff into your own life. Uh, thanks for reviews on Apple Podcasts, wherever you do this. That is it. That is all. Appreciate you. I'll see you next week.